You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Good morning, everyone. Finding a seat. There's handouts going around. Um, say a word about the handouts as everybody kind of settles in. Uh, well, even about the class. You know, this is a class that I've, you know, taught something like this. I've lost count, you know, 10, 15 times now or something like that because Christmas comes every year um, and, uh, and love teaching every year on something like this. And so spend a little bit more time than I usually do preparing a handout for people. I want to take it home. I know sometimes uh, in a week like this, it, it shifts gears a little bit and you can slow down and maybe absorb some pieces. And so put down on the, uh, on the sheet, we're going to look at some uh, some paintings, especially of the Annunciation. I'm going to spend some time there. Also, gave you some prompts for some Google searches if you want to look at a couple of poems by W. H. Auden, for instance, and some others. And so that's the intention with the handout that you can take it home, use it even sort of in private devotional time if you want to use that um, uh, for this week as we prepare for Christmas. So, with that, um, seems like it's made its way around. I'd like to open the. Um, uh, the class, um, and we're going to close it as well, Lord willing, never know where it's going to actually end up. But there are a couple of collects. Collects, just a big word for um, uh, a prayer which collects uh, a theme for a given Sunday. Um, Thomas Cramner, our reformer, uh, would take a lot of, the, he wrote some afresh, brand new. Um, the ones here that he had for Christmas, he turned, this was really his mastery is he would be able to take something that was already in existence and turn it with a few key changes in phrasing um, to, uh, to really emphasize the, the, well, let's stay with Christmas, the direction of Christmas. As Christina Rossetti will remind us, love comes down at Christmas. And Cramner you know, read, Mark learned, and inwardly digested that um, over and over and over again. Uh, with his collects and his mastery of, of, uh, of creating the liturgy for us, um, not just at Christmas, but at where we pray every week, to recognize that God comes to us. We don't go to him. We're not going to, to meet the sage on the mountaintop or something else like that. That love comes down to us at Christmas and on Good Friday and at Easter and at Pentecost and in all the ordinary times, love comes down. And so Cramner, taking some of the collects that were already there in existence and turning them uh, to the... Uh, to the place where the church is being reformed around the living and active word of God, particularly his word of the gospel. Um, and here it is. Uh, in the collect, we pray uh, uh, on, the, on the feast of the nativity, the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ. So let us pray. O God, who makest us glad with the yearly remembrance of the birth of thine only Son, Jesus Christ, grant that as we joyfully receive him for our Redeemer, so we may with sure confidence behold him when he shall come to be our judge who liveth and reigneth with thee in the Holy Ghost, one God, world without end. Amen. And so we begin, um, just going to stay close with the, uh, with the handout, a couple of quotes, one from G.K. Chesterton, another one from, from, uh, uh, from C.S. Lewis. Um, Chesterton was about a generation before Lewis, and, Ch- and Lewis would constantly uh, uh, speak of his indebtedness, particularly to G.K. Chesterton and another man named George MacDonald. And here, as Christmas comes again and again and again, it's a little bit of a disclaimer for me. I found some freedom in this several years ago. 
when uh, the impetus to try to come up with something new, what am I going to show, what am I going to talk about, what am I going to do that's different than I've done in years past, especially on a theme like Christmas. I mean, you can only go so many times to Mark or to Luke or to John or try to find something else in the prophets or to Paul or something to try to describe it. And they gave me the great sense that, you know, dummy, <laughs> it's not about information. The gospel can be heard in two ways. The gospel is a story or as a narrative, which most of us can master. Christ Jesus was a, uh, the angel Gabriel came and visited Mary and he visited Joseph and he, uh, he said, fulfilling the scriptures, just the story that you will conceive and bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus for he shall save people from their sins. And then in, in due course, you know, sure enough, she, she bore a son and he lived and he died and, and uh, on the third day he rose again. And that's the gospel, the story of our Savior's life who came for us. But there's also the gospel because we can master that. I mean, you can study it, you can learn the languages, you can do everything, and you can learn the story of the gospel. But the gospel is the promise that God comes to us in His certain and sure word uh, again and again and again, and afresh and new each morning, like the manna given to Israel when they were wandering, or like this day, our daily bread, uh, where it comes to us, not because it's information, but because we in our flesh forget. We are like, as James said, when we look at ourselves in a mirror, as soon as we walk away, we forget who we are. And the gospel as a powering, as a, as a living and active word comes to us afresh every single moment of every single day, turning us out of ourselves and towards him so that now, as it were, we live, thanks be to God, outside of me. And I live in Christ. And the story, the word, the power that Christ has come down for you and for me. And this is what Chesterton is getting at as he says something like um, the value of monotony. Because children are abounding, have abounding vitality, because they are in spirit fierce and free, therefore they want things repeated and unchanged. They always say, do it again. And the grown-up person does it again until he is nearly dead for grown-up people are not strong enough to exult in monotony. But perhaps God is strong enough to exult in monotony. It is possible that God says every morning, do it again to the sun, do it again uh, to the moon. It may not be automatic necessity that makes all daisies alike. It may be that God makes every daisy separately, but he has never got tired of making them. It may be that he has, made the, he has the eternal appetite of infancy, infancy, for we have sinned and grown old and our father is younger than we. Or as Lewis would pick up, as Lewis would pick up uh, later in the Screwtape Letters, the horror of the same old thing is one of the most valuable passions that we have produced in the human heart. So I should say what that is. If you're not familiar with the Screwtape Letters, uh, Lewis assumed the voice of a senior devil training a junior devil. So when he says our, it's, very, it's, meant, it's meant to be sarcastic or an irony where he's speaking, as it were, of the devil's strategy. Um, the horror of the same old thing is one of the most valuable passions that we, devils, have produced in the human heart, an endless source of heresies in religion, fallacies, follies in counsel, infidelity in marriage, and inconstancy in friendship. And so we come to the same old story again and again and again, remembering, as it were, saying, screw tape, I know who you are, <laughs> and I leave you aside 
and let me exult in the monotony of the same old story, the story of Christ coming down at Christmas and at Easter and at Good Friday again and again and again. And so with that, let's spend some time thinking about the Annunciation. This is where I sort of spent most of my time uh, thinking this week. I'm going to be moving around a little bit here. Um, the Annunciation, um, the story uh, or the, the, the place where the angel Gabriel comes to Mary and announces or enunciates uh, that she will be with child. Um, looking at several ways this has been sort of described in, in, uh, in art throughout the ages. This is Hans Memling, um, 1465. You can see this in New York if you're there. Does this work? Oh, it does. Good. Several parts here that I think are interesting. I mean, here's Gabriel. He looks a lot like an acolyte, doesn't he? I mean, I mean, just vested. He's even got a little Dean's cross. You can't really see it here. We need some better light. Um, uh, with, uh, with, with a robe like our 11 o'clock acolytes would wear. Um, you know, funnily enough, that's why we do this. Uh, and there's Mary attentively at, uh, in, in, in prayer, kneeling at her open book, uh, with the familiar lilies. Um, the lilies are going to be seen in almost every instance when you look at Mary. Um, lilies signifying purity, um, fecundity, uh, uh, or a, a, a richness um, ready to, to, to give birth, um, uh, but, but an innocence alongside of it. And then her familiar blues and reds. And we'll see this pattern of repetition in the next six or seven. One thing I like in this painting is here on the outside how different it is from the inside. Even in 1465, there's this striking sense that life goes on. There they are, somebody just walking out the, the back door, and somebody else is here in the garden um, tending the grass and whatever. And meanwhile, inside, heaven has come to earth, and Gabriel is visiting Mary. Um, we see something very similar in a guy, Roger Van Weyden. Um, you can see this in Munich. Um, some of us have seen this before. Um, very similar, very similar time and all. We've got the acolyte Gabriel coming down, this time a little cross, the anachronistic <laughs> cross here and there. We have the same vase with the same lily, Mary in her blues. But right here, this is where we begin to see it. Um, the artist begins to capture that part of the story uh, where it says, Mary, the Holy Spirit shall come upon you and you shall conceive and bear a son. And they're capturing, as it were, the moment of conception when the Holy Spirit is coming down and visiting Mary, uh, who again is kneeling attentively at her prayers. Um, one shift, um, one of my, I love this one, um, El Greco does it very differently. You can see just the sweeping upwardness of it. One of the great Spanish artists um, there at the Prado, some of us can see that this summer if you look. Um, uh, uh, here we see the angels and archangels and all the company of heaven um, uh, giving glory and laud and magnifying, um, singing glory and excelsius de Deo with the angel, the heavenly chorus here. Gabriel coming down, again Mary at her book reading in the familiar blues and reds with a much more pronounced Holy Spirit. Did a couple of details here. I think this is a striking, striking image of Mary. I mean, I was really sort of stuck with her for uh, uh, I think Thursday when I was sitting with this, um, just sat there. I said, he's, he did something there. I'm going to keep thinking about Mary and the way that she comes and turns, is more surprised than devoted, uh, and then a much more pronounced Holy Spirit in the form of a dove coming down to visit her. Um, uh, so Greco, um, along with Waden and the others. But here, we really start to make a shift. Um, so with this, let me read the story from Luke. 
as this is in the background, as we think about the angel Gabriel coming to Mary to announce that she will be the God-bearer, um, the one who will be with child, with Jesus, who will save us from our sins. And in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying, and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. And he will be great, and he will be exalted, and the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. So here, Da Vinci, um, one of the, 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 this is early Da Vinci, I think, um, the geometry of Da Vinci. And this one, I didn't really, I almost didn't use this. And I sat there and I stared at it for a while and something happened. I wonder if it's going to happen to you as you sort of sit here. The geometry of Da Vinci, remember Da Vinci, he did like um, uh, the, the famous Venn diagram with the Ventusian man, kind of with the, the famous, I mean, he has just such an exact understanding of form and composition. The strong linearity where everything kind of comes. You can see the hand of, of, uh, of Gabriel is exactly at the right hand of Mary, and the eyes of Gabriel come exactly to the other hand, and then Mary's gaze is straight here at the top of his wings, and it creates a very narrow, um, although it's an expansive sense. This one's outside, by the way. The others were inside. You're very much, it starts to close in um, with all the different geometry. You see the, the lines going out this way because here in the distance, the mountain which goes up, and you can't really see where it ends. Now, as it were, and I borrowed this from somebody else, imagine, like, here's Mary, here's Gabriel, and there's a line between the two. And if you take the line and you pull those two are going to have tension and start to come together. And that's what da Vinci has done with this triangle right here. As, it, as, you're, as you're naturally pulled in, and this is what I sat, just for your devotion if you want to look at it later this week. As it were, and it's not like one of those optical illusions or something, but the tension, the dynamism that becomes present in this painting. As Joseph, as, a, as Gabriel and Mary, as, as staid as they are, and we're going to look at some that I like much more than this, Da Vinci creates a movement here where you start to feel Gabriel coming to Mary and what that must have been like, what that might be like to have Advent again and again and again. Christ is coming, Mary, and you shall bear a son. So here's Da Vinci. You can Google it later if you want. But this is even better. Botticelli, um, and then we're going to make a a shift here. Um, Oh, and by the way, Mary still back there at her book. We're going to say something about that, at her book and devotion. Here, something completely different. The angel Gabriel, Mary, familiar reds and blues. He's coming with a lily that's still there. But this time, unlike uh, uh, Gabriel, unlike Da Vinci, where they were at, at, at an even linear space, or unlike the earlier ones, where Mary is, um, uh, is kneeling at her devotions and Gabriel is higher. Here, Gabriel comes in and he's the one kneeling uh, in submission to Mary. Um, you've still got a strong geometry here with all this. You're definitely going up. 
and everything's moving here to the hands, as it were, where there's this division, heaven and earth, sacred, uh, God coming down, the movement with the hands, there's detail of them, just the power, as it were, almost like the scene in the Sistine Chapel that several of us will know, where the finger of God coming to touch Adam to imbue him with life, the power present in the two hands. Um, here, the motion is upward, as it were. And this is what I liked about this painting. With Gabriel coming and, and this power that's going, and especially from this hand, directly at her womb, here, for the first time, as we, we capture what, what, what Luke told us, she was greatly troubled at this saying. And she's almost like, I want to be close, and yet she's pulling away to guard, as it were, this moment. How can this be since I've never known a man? How can this be since I'm a virgin where she wants to guard that part of herself which is most um, uh, vulnerable from the angel Gabriel? And then lastly, here in the window, this is just my own guess, um, a tree. Why in the world would there be a tree? You could say it'd be the tree of life, and maybe maybe there's something to this in the Marian dogma, if that means anything to some of us, with the idea of Mary being without sin and pure and all, that this is the tree of life, and she has the opportunity to, um, uh, to preserve. That really didn't come around, that idea, that understanding in the Roman Catholic Church later. I think this is the tree, the tree upon which Christ will be hung, um, a prefigurement of the cross. Um, even now, um, as Auden will tell us in a few moments, we have a vague apprehension, knowing, uh, smelling the whiff of Lent and Good Friday, which now, for, um, uh, after all, cannot be very far away. Um, uh, so Botticelli. Um, what is, oh, come back down. What, is she, what, are, what are they reading in all these different places? Here Mary, again, is at her, um, at her book, there's a tradition, we don't know this, I don't know this, um, there's a tradition out there that Mary is reading Psalm, Isaiah 53, the suffering servant, which we hear every Good Friday, which I included in there. Simeon saw this um, later on in Luke um, when he was waiting at the temple because it had been promised to him that he will, his eyes will see the, his salvation, will behold the Savior. And when he picks up the boy Jesus, um, uh, mine eyes have seen uh, my salvation. But he tells Mary, a sword will pierce your soul. Um, the woman of sorrows, Mary, carrying this burden, um, hearkening to Isaiah 53. Um, he had no form or majesty that we should look at him, and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and, and as one from whom men might hide their faces, he was despised, we esteemed him not. He was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. What if Mary's pondering that, even as Gabriel comes? Um, what if we ponder that, even as we behold Christ in the manger? that we beheld and esteemed him not, um, and the Lord laid upon him the chastisement uh, and the sin which is ours, so that we would be given the life which is his. So we have all this, um, but then 
Um, I've shown this so many times, and I still want to go to Philadelphia just to see this painting. Um, Henry Tanner, African-American artist at the turn of the century, he just a year ago, a year before he painted this, he had gone to Israel, then Palestine, just to see the light, to see the architecture, to, uh, to see the land, which some of us have done. And here's Mary, um, very strikingly different than the other pictures we had. Still the Annunciation. Here's her familiar blues, but no longer on her. The familiar reds are all around. Uh, you got the arches which go, and each of them drop onto Mary, with the, also in the corner, everything going back. So we're focused here. She's plainly just, and she's just beautiful. I mean, the striking young woman. Um, obviously just awoken from sleep, not dressed. Her, her clothes are still over here on the side. Uh, everything seems to be in a rush, even the, the carpet here. As it were, you know, start, start, and you sort of pile, pile the carpet up on each other. Uh, she's just been awoken by a shaft of light. The angel Gabriel appearing as a shaft of light and not as a cherub or, a, or a, a winged man or something else like that. Just an apparition of something completely other. A whole different genus, phylum, and species. A vertical beam of light, which also coupled with the... Um, uh, uh, the shelf in the background, a cruciform angel, one who comes remembering again Good Friday and Lent, after all, can't be that far away. And Mary caught right there with that sense of submission and humility that's so endearing for her. And in her own way, I don't know about this, but in her own way, I was thinking about her hands and as they become clasped, is this the moment, perhaps, perhaps, when the angel Gabriel says, you shall conceive by the Holy Spirit in your womb. And again, like Botticelli, just ever so slightly, she turns. She clasps her hands together in a, in a moment of, of protection, as it were. Um, what, what manner of, of words are, is this that he speaks to me? Um, how can this be? Uh, before she says, let it be unto me, according to your word. You know, I am your humble servant. Um, I am Mary. So all the different ways we think. Think about the Annunciation. I give those to you. I hope they help um, moving through because time marches on. Um, after the Annunciation comes the waiting. The waiting, uh, the waiting, and the waiting. Um, ten months, nine months after, after conception. But for us, stuck in the time between the times of Christ's first coming and Christ's second coming, certainly the waiting in this time being, again, as Auden is going to remind us, uh, what do we do about all this? And Dietrich Bonhoeffer, I went to him a couple of places this week also thinking about this. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, um, known to many of us, the author of The Cost of Discipleship, um, but much more than that, a young man. I think he died when he was 36 years old, uh, in the, uh, uh, killed in Flossenburg prison in World War II. Um, he himself was a German, uh, but was imprisoned by the Germans. Uh, for, for participating in a plot to assassinate Hitler, in fact. Um, uh, and then he was in prison for about a year and a half before he was ultimately executed, hung, I remember the date, I don't know why, on April 6, 1945, six days before that camp was liberated by the Allies. Um, uh, some even conjecture that it might have been one of the last orders Hitler, who himself was on his way to his own death, uh, by his own hand, might have made sure one of his last orders was to make sure you take care of Bonhoeffer. Um, don't let him live. And he was, he, was, uh, he was hung six days beforehand. 
And along the way, he was given privileges to write and to read um, in some of the different prisons where he was. And we have this in Tegel Prison, written in November 21st, uh, a letter to a friend, talking about Advent. Um, Life in a prison cell reminds me a great deal of Advent. One waits and hopes and potters about, but is the end, but in but in the end, what we do is of little consequence, for the door is shut, and it can only be opened from the outside. Um, Bonhoeffer reminds us that uh, we wait, for we have no other option. Um, like a man in prison, he can only wait for someone to open the door, to bring him a meal, to open the door, to bring him water, to open the door. God, could I hope for freedom? We wait, and we wait, and we wait. Um, W.H. Uh, Auden, who I've mentioned several times in, in a long poem, I don't have time to talk about it, uh, uh, a great couple of phrases here uh, where he speaks about the waiting and the waiting and the waiting, uh, the interminable place of, I need someone to come to the door and open it. Um, for we who must die demand a miracle. How could the eternal do a temporal act and the infinite become a finite fact. Nothing can save us that is possible. We who must die demand a miracle. Striking words, an arresting word to think about that, that we who must die demand a miracle. For our freedom is absolutely, our very life is absolutely and utterly dependent on the promise being trustworthy and true that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, that love will in fact come down and open the door. We who must die demand a miracle. A miracle in the sense that I can do nothing and no thing to help myself. Again, the collect of Cranmer comes to mind. We who have no powers in ourselves to help ourselves. I need a helper, another, one who is going to come. Um, to play on some words, um, uh, this also I like uh, where, where Auden's going. How can the eternal do a temporal act and the infinite do... In, and the infinite become a finite fact. Um, I so badly wanted to think about John and his preface, um, his prologue, John 1, verses 1 through 18, especially verse 18. No one has seen God, Jesus Christ, the only one, in the bosom of the Father. He has made him known. The only way we know anything about God, the Father, is through God the Son. The Son always makes the Father known. The Father, God in his absolute, infinite, infinite, um, and, uh, and othered self cannot be made known unless he pins himself down, unless he pins himself on the cross, the cruciform uh, form of Gabriel, unless God makes himself known, and that's what Jesus came to do. We cannot know. Um, uh, and so... We have the word which we heard uh, preached on at the 9 o'clock refectory service anyway. Um, A second annunciation, as it were, the annunciation to Joseph. Um, And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. For that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit, and she will bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus, for he will save people from their sins. 
the beginning of the waiting, um, or the waiting begins to find its, uh, its purpose. Um, Jesus is coming, and he shall save people from their sins. Um, just to go there now. Uh, well, no, I'll wait. Um, so, we move from the Annunciation to the waiting, to the Advent, to the Advent, to the Advent, again and again and again, finally to the birth. And it's surprising in some ways when you think about the, the Gospels, how little is actually said about the birth itself. It's Luke, I mean, it's almost an understatement, uh, just comes and speaks. For the time came for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling cloths, and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. So back to Bonhoeffer. Um, he, again, same prison, about a week later from the, from the letter which we read just from a moment ago, was writing his parents. And this particular painting came to his mind, uh, painted in 1511 uh, by a German painter named Albrecht Eindorfer, I think it's his name, Altdorfer. Um, uh, to put 1511 in perspective, Luther nailed the 95 Theses in 1517, so we're just before the Reformation, but the water, the, the, the germ is in the water, so to speak. Uh, what's striking here is its um, timelessness. There's no halos, which have been very common then. You don't have the, uh, the Holy Family. Here's Joseph, Mary, baby Jesus is in there somewhere, attended to by a little cherub. Uh, you don't see their holiness. What you're struck by, of course, is the massive darkness the cloudy night, obscuring uh, the silent word which pleads, to borrow the phrase, um, how silently, how silently the wondrous word is given, which sneaks into the, um, the dark night uh, where the hopes and fears of all the years are met right there. And Bonhoeffer, sitting in prison, thinks about this painting, draws it from memory, uh, meditating on it, as it were, and says this to his parents. Um, Altdorfer's nativity is very topical, very timely for me, this time of year, uh, at this year, with its picture of the holy family in the crib beneath the ruined house. How did he come to defy tradition in this way 400 years ago? Was his meaning that Christmas could and should be kept even under such conditions as these? Anyhow, that is his message to us. I love to think of you sitting down with the children and keeping Advent as you used to years ago with us. The only difference is that we enter into it more intensely today since we know not how much longer it is likely to last. Um, the Holy Family um, stuck on a... I've got to hurry. Um, I mean, even there's... It's, it's neglected and broken for so long. There's plants growing on the roof. It's long neglect. This wasn't a recent uh, you know, wartime... Uh, bomb or something else like that. This house has been in ruin uh, in the forgotten brokenness of it all. Jesus comes right into all that almost covertly. You have to look to see him stuck over here with cattle under there. The only people around to see it aren't people. They're angels. Um, uh, the, the, the company of heaven, they know exactly what has happened uh, when Christ comes the first time he came incognito. He came under the cover of darkness. He came in the hidden way. So there's the birth. And then the shepherds. Um, we remember the story. Um, let me read this quickly. 
In the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them. The angels are very prominent right now. And the glory of the Lord showed around them, and they were filled with fear. And the angel said, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you, this is the verse, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger. And suddenly there, were with the, there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and, and on earth peace among those with whom he is well pleased. So just to run and not walk. Here's three more of El Greco. I mean, he had several paintings of the same theme. One's here in New York, one's in Bucharest, and one's in Madrid. But all these with the, the just unmistakable style of the transcendent and the upward motion. You go up, you go up, you go up. And here we know that we're not alone with all the angels. But look, you can see my theme today. Um, the whiff of apprehension that Lent and Good Friday, after all, cannot be very far off. Why would El Greco, when the shepherds, the keepers of lambs, especially these shepherds, some of us have been there too, just outside of Jerusalem, quite possibly keeping the lambs there so people could come who needed a lamb for the sacrifice to take to the temple. Uh, why would they bring a lamb and place it at the, uh, at the foot of the manger in each instance? Uh, well, behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That's a Christmas verse. <laughs> we don't normally think of it that way. But here he is, Jesus Christ given to you, coming to you, love coming down. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Or as Paul would say in 1 Timothy, which we hear every, every time we have communion, uh, this saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world. That's a Christmas verse. To save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. And these paintings, these, uh, all these um, uh, lambs, um, uh, you know, this is just one of my favorite paintings, just absolutely arresting. The Años Day by uh, another Spanish artist named Francisco Zuraban. Uh, the Lamb of God, um, bound, ready for the sacrifice. Christ Jesus coming to the world to save sinners. Um, five more minutes. Uh, so we go from, you can see the sweep of where I'm hoping to go anyway, the Annunciation to the, to the, uh, to the birth, to the arrival of the shepherds. We're going to leave the, the Magi for next year. Uh, but here, that's Christ's first advent. And we have the second advent where Christ will come again. We heard that in Cramner's first collect. He comes now, love comes down at Christmas, but Christ will come again. And this time it won't be incognito. It won't be hidden. It won't be under the cover of darkness. All shall recognize, oh, I already have it. Um, all shall see it. So here's one of the, this is a massive painting. Uh, I mean, it's, it would take, it, it's, it's, it's probably 20 feet tall, 14 feet wide, something like that. It's just absolutely enormous. Where here's Christ coming down in the last great judgment, um, finally and fully. And here, these on his right are left ascending from the dead up into heaven and here the damned going down into hell. That's not really our theme for today. Really just wanted to hold this. Um, thinking about Christina Rossetti's hymn again, or In the Bleak Midwinter. Do we have time? No. Um, 
uh, I'm a broken record here, but Annie Lennox has a version, an arrangement of In the Bleak Midwinter that's just absolutely, it's, it's, it, it, is, it, is, it is incredible. Um, and it's also unique because she makes a different arrangement and goes from a soft and gentle uh, dulcimer setting uh, where in the bleak midwinter, softy wind made moan, our context of this world, this little town in Bethlehem, uh, how still we see thee lie, and yet in the darkness, like the Altdorfer painting had, where it needs a savior, like Bonhoeffer, the door is locked and we can't come. And then the second verse just jumps up in Annie Lennox's version. And now the dulcimer, which are really sort of gentle sort of hammer mallets that go on strings to timpani, just the kettle drum, the drums of war, where you hear God coming down once, finally, fully, and for all time. Uh, and it goes back then after that to the third verse, what shall I bring him poor as I am, the little drummer boy sort of inspiration. Um, so we go from context to reality to the Lord's provision where he comes second time, but then he also says, um, as, as the, the verse comes, in the bleak midwinter, a stable place suffice, the Lord God Almighty, Jesus Christ. Hearing that, not as information, but as the word of promise given to you this day in the city of David, a Savior who is Christ the Lord, we hear that word and we're moved to respond. What shall I give him? Poor as I am, if I were a shepherd, I'd bring a lamb. I'll give him my heart. I'll give him my life, my soul, my all, everything that I am and all that I have. So let's do this. Um, I do want to get to the Auden piece, and then I hope I can rescue it, because it's not really the last word. Um, W.H. Auden, I've talked to some of y'all about this. Uh, really an interesting poem, because um, here we have this sweep of the story, which we hear this time of year. The Annunciation, the birth, uh, the shepherds and the wise men who come. And then, you know, as it were, then it's December 26th. <laughs> You know, now it's time to take down the tree and put away everything. No good. It's been up for five weeks anyway. I've been listening to these songs since Halloween. You know, so I'm glad it's over. And, you know, as, as, uh, as Auden will say, well, so that is that. So this time in between the times, or as he would call it, for the time being, which is the name of his, uh, his long poem, his oratorio, uh, what do we who are stuck here, he's going to say this, in this moderate Aristotelian city, what does that mean? Aristotle, just you know, as opposed to Plato, says, what's real is what you can knock. What's real is what you can hold. What's real is what's in front of you, the material, the concrete. We who are stuck here in this material and concrete world, how are we supposed to make sense of the unused day? I mean, that's, that's great art and all. That's really great. But what about me? You know, lonely, depressed, you know, stuck in the sandwich, you know, uh, with, uh, with children on one on, below me and an aging family above me or whatever it is that's for you. What about me? Auden wants to approach that and at least says this. Um, in the back of a... I'm going to move quick. Um, back of your handout. Well, so that is that. Once again, as in previous years, we have seen the actual vision and failed to do more than entertain it as an agreeable possibility. Once again, we have sent him away begging though to remain his disobedient servant. The promising child, this is us, who cannot keep his word for long. The Christmas feast is already a fading memory, 
and already the mind begins to be vaguely aware of an unpleasant whiff of apprehension at the thought of Lent and Good Friday, which cannot, after all, now be very far off. But for the time being, that means now, uh, here we all are, back in the moderate Aristotelian city of Darning in the 815, the subway, where Euclid's geometry and Newton's mechanics would account for all of our experience, and the kitchen table exists because I scrub it. It seems to have shrunk during the holidays. The streets are much narrower than we remembered. We had forgotten the office was as depressing as this. To those who have seen the child, however dimly, however incredulously, the time being is, in a sense, the most trying time of all. Now, recollecting the moment, we can repress the joy, but the guilt remains conscious. Remembering the stable, where for once in our lives, everything became a you, and nothing wasn't it. It's that last line. I'm going to land the plane here. Where everything became a you, and nothing wasn't it. The story is not just a story. Love comes down at Christmas, and it comes to you in a specific, particular, personal, familiar way. Everything becomes a you, and nothing is in it. There's not an indefinite article. Definitely, he came, Christ Jesus, the Lord God Almighty. And the angels prophesied this. Hear the particularity, the specificity, the personalness of this all for you. Unto you, not y'all, not ye, which is the collective. That's the old way to say y'all, um, the plural form. It's you, you, you. For unto you is born this day in a particular place in the city of David a Savior particular person, Christ the Lord. That's the hope of Christmas. That's the hope with knowing the the whiff and the apprehension of Lent and Good Friday and Easter coming uh, that given to you this day, Jesus Christ, your Savior and mine. Um, So with that, let's, uh, well, from there, adeste fideles, O come all ye faithful. Uh, Yea, Lord, we greet thee, hearing the good news that he has come. Born this happy morning, Jesus, to thee all glory be given, word of the Father, now in flesh appearing. And then we rejoin the chorus, come, let us adore him. That's the last move on the table, is simply to come and adore. So let us pray, Almighty God, which has given us thine only begotten Son, to take our nature upon him, and at this time to be born of a pure virgin, grant that we, being regenerate, and made thy children by adoption and grace, may daily be renewed by thy Holy Spirit, through the same our Lord Jesus Christ, who liveth and reigneth with thee, and the same Spirit ever, one God, world without end. Amen. Happy Advent. Merry Christmas. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you'll join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.